So the first job I got out of college, first, the first real job I had, I was teaching software to um, coal miners in coal mines that had been shut down and they were all going to lose their jobs. And so all these 59-year-old men had to learn how to use computers so they could enter the workforce. Yes. And it was all federal money to pay because the coal mines had been shut down and those guys didn't want to learn anything. And, um, but it was my first job. So I did the best I could with what I knew. And the best part of that was uh, there was one lady and she did not want to call that thing that you hold to move the pointer around on the screen. She did not want to call that a mouse. Do not call that a mouse. And this was in 1996, um, I guess. So they all had wires. And this never happened in any class except for hers. And she did not want to call it a mouse. She wouldn't touch it. She would touch it with one finger and move it around. And no joke, you guys, the guy in front of her had his chair hanging on his, his he had his coat hanging on his chair. And he turned to ask her a question. And the sleeve of his coat caught the wire of that mouse. The one time she finally got up the courage to put her hand on it. And that thing yanked out of her hand and ran off the table. And she screamed and jumped out and was about ready to run out of the room. Oh, it was awesome. And then one day the boss came in. And uh, since I had the training room, so I had this big room with all these tables. So every meeting that ever happened, happened in my office. It brings in the whole company and everybody's in there and, and uh, something really important to tell us all. And we all sit down and he says, um, we're going out of business and in two weeks you'll get your last paycheck. And I'm sorry, it's just not going to make it, um, but you're all, you're all let go. You're all fired. I mean, we're not fired, but we're all let go. And uh, there's one guy, <laughs> he was a salesman. I, I still remember, he's sitting up in the front left corner. Um, he got up and he walked right out the door and we never saw him again. Like, that was his five seconds notice. He was gone. And, um, and the, Lord, the Lord worked all kinds of miracles in it and showed his glory and, and provided beyond my wildest dreams through that whole experience. But my, I still look at that and I still chuckle. My introduction as an independent man into the workforce was at any moment, everything could just be gone. It could just be totally. And, um, and I've experienced, I've I worked for an internet service provider company that got bought and everybody that had marketing, accounting, or HR in their job title, and I was marketing. So, so it was like, wow, what if God is using all of this to really show me that money, that job security, that all of that, the, the wealth is all very, very passing, very unstable. Things to not put your hope in, right? I always, um, I used to tell guys that 
If the Lord really wanted to show y'all how lazy a human could be, I would win the lottery. Like the fullness of laziness would be displayed if I were suddenly inherently rich. And I think the Lord knows that. I know that. I think the Lord knows that. And, um, and there may be other things that you can relate to in that too. So we're in Acts today. And the early church, you get to see kind of what their priorities were and how they lived and how things were fleeting and what they were, what they were living for day to day. Because remember, when Jesus ascended at the, end of, at the end of John, at the end of Matthew, at the end of Mark, and at the beginning of Acts. So Luke kind of covers it at the end of Luke, but he covers it more at the beginning of Acts. The apostles say, Jesus, are you now going to restore the the kingdom? Is this it? Is the end of the world right now where where sin will be wiped out completely? There will be no more evil. There will be no more pain or sadness. There will be no more death. There will be no more blankety-blank Romans. And everything will be perfect. They all thought, this is it. This is the moment. And you know, Jesus said... You know, I don't know. (laughs) It's not for me to know. It's not for you to know. Only the Father knows. And He'll tell me and He'll instruct the angels. But I don't know when it's going to be. So they lived kind of in a state of any minute now, the boss is going to come in, tell us that we're sold, and we're all out of jobs. It's all over. Anything, anything, it's just... Uh, an instability of time. But it's stable because we know we're on the right side. So it's just a matter of, of our victory, right? It's just a matter of it, of it happening. So last week we talked about James. And I keep saying James. Peter and John, they got arrested. They got out of jail. They're preaching boldly. They're praying. And they're doing this thing. And now it gives us a picture of what the early church looked like in, in Acts 4.32. The full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. So they shared everything that they had. Everything was in common. They didn't call anything their own. That's mine. This is mine. This is mine. So think about some of this is the practical reality of the situation. You had people who had come to become Christians that were now rejected by their Jewish families because if you call anybody God besides God, you're committing blasphemy. So if you consider Jesus to be God and he isn't, you're blaspheming. So the Jewish people that did not believe them are going to put them out. So they might... They might be all together and sharing all their stuff because they've lost everything because they've been put away from their families. This is a huge common case for Muslim Muslim believers nowadays. Um, A Muslim can't become a Christian just for the simple fact that no one will buy anything from their store. Their family will reject all support of them and they could even be killed by their own family. And so just just to come... They're desperate for need of sharing everything and not, not having that. 
It's also the case that some of these people could have come on Pentecost from foreign lands all over the place. And they came and the Holy Spirit came down. And remember it says 3,000 souls, were, uh, 3,000 men were added that day. And there's another spot where 5,000 souls have been added where they're not going to go back home. They're like, you know what? I came from this pagan country and I was Jewish in that pagan country. And that was hard enough to live as a Jew in this Gentile nation. I can't imagine going back there and trying to follow Jesus. I'm just going to stay here in Jerusalem with y'all and live here. And they shared all their stuff. With great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. So this scene in our, in our modern, modern economic, I mean, we know a whole bunch about economics. Whether you think you're an e- economist or not, um, if you've ever looked at a Sunday newspaper, if you've ever driven by a gas station and thought for a split second, oh, that gas is cheap, you know a whole lot about economics, more than you even comprehend. And... When we read this through our filter of modern American economics, and we've we've got this history of communism and the politics of socialism and the the, uh, rise and, and victory of capitalism, sometimes we might read all of that into this. And I want to try to erase all of that so we can see this for what it was, to see how they were doing it. So for one, they didn't make sure everybody had the same. It wasn't, you make this much, so we're going to reduce you to this. You make this so much, we're going to advance you to this. It was, who is needy? Who is in need? Hey, is there somebody that can help these people that are in need? And then those people in need, those people that that weren't in need could help these people that were in need And then they weren't needy anymore. It's not saying that they equalized themselves. It's these people helped out these people so that no one was in need. That is such a big difference from talking about eliminating poverty or ending homelessness. Because if you take care of somebody in need, I I think a lot about times in our family life where we were on food stamps or we were on Obamacare and we were on these things. And it was like, if you made, if I made more money at my job, then all of a sudden we would lose those benefits and we'd actually be in worse shape. But that was okay because they were just there for us while we were in need. And then we would get on past that, that we were, we were doing better. Or times where our family or our friends, where we were in need And our family and friends didn't say, okay, for the next 72 years, we're going to give you a monthly check for $300 and you'll be cool. They said, what do you need right now to help you through this? And they helped us with it and we got through it. And then we were no longer in need. So when you read this, don't think 
socialism and communism and we're all going to be poor together and, and blah, blah, blah. Think about your family members that you love and you care for. Think about your neighbor when uh, I, I had a super generous neighbor and one time we were having car trouble and the, the boys were a few blocks over a boys group and we didn't have this car and we didn't have that car and he said, you want to just take my Prius and just go pick up the kids? I'm like, I get to drive a Prius? And he let, he's going to let me drive them? He, like he's not... I'll go pick them up for you or you can ride with me because you're not driving my car. He was like, here's the key. I was in need. He saw the need. Man, we trashed his car. We were soaking wet from rain. Do you remember this? It rained. They were dripping wet. They got in the car. There was so much water all over the seats. I felt so bad. We shot back that thing. We got the damp rid stuff. I was apologizing to him. He was like, no big deal. It's fine. That's such a, such a great picture of what was happening here. Um, even last night, Isaac is preparing his camping trip, and he's like, I need a tent. Where can I get a tent? I said, go ask him. And so he goes over, and he's like, can I borrow a tent? And the neighbor guy, he's like, here, take this tent. It's fine. It's great. And it's like super-duper wonderful. He is not holding back. He's not considering anything his own, Right? He's not saying, you better be not careful with my tent. He's saying, oh yeah, take it, use it, borrow it. Here it is. This was God's intent of how charity would work. He even talked about it back, I didn't, I didn't mark it right, I think it's Deuteronomy 14. When, um, where he's, God is talking about where he says you will always have the poor among you. And Jesus quotes that at the Last Supper. You'll always have the poor among you. So there's something about there will always be poor people. There will always be people that are having trouble. That, that uh, circumstances are happening to them. Maybe foolishness is causing their poverty. But we should always take care of people's needs. We should make sure that there aren't any needy people. Even in the, um, yeah, here we go. It is in Deuteronomy 15, 15, 7. If among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it be. Whatever it may be, you lend, it, look at that, it says lend to him. Oh my. Other translations say give. Either way, it's being generous and giving to help meet people's needs. We're going to take care of them. We're going to take care of one another. Uh, up in verse uh, 15.4 is where it says, There will be no more, no poor people among you, for the Lord will bless you in the land. So the Lord's setting it up that it's possible for there to be no poor people. It is actually possible in the world right now for there to be no poor people. But not everybody's going to obey this and not everything's going to work out right. And people are going to be foolish. And there will be poor people. And even in that, let's show them grace and be generous and help them to meet their needs. 
Now the other cool thing about this, and this is, this is how it's probably happened in your families, and this is maybe how it's happened with your friends, is when it all worked right, and the poor people's needs were met, it was because somebody knew me, and they knew what my needs were, and I knew them, and I knew what, with what sacrifice they were caring for my need, and that propelled me and motivated me to make them not have to do this a lot. Does that make sense? And so I'm blown away by the grace that's been given to me by these people providing for my need. But I love them and they love me and they're providing and being generous. And we are in community and we know each other closely. And so we don't want it to continue like this. This is a lot different than me chucking a donut out the window to the God bless guy. Right? The guy doesn't need that donut. It blesses him. But gosh, if I could know him... If I can know what he needs, everything changes. Every, that's um, a fun thing. You can do this. Maybe this happens at your house. People come to your door and they ask for help. And the thing that we've started doing is we have a couple extra rakes. And I'll give the guy a rake and I'll say, I'm not going to pay you because I have teenage boys. But somebody in this neighborhood might pay you to rake their leaves and you can have my rake. All that does is it opens up a dialogue between us where I'm not the anonymous benefactor. I'm somebody that cares about them and is really trying to help their needs. And that gives them a chance to talk back to me. And I know lots of people who have developed really strong relationships with people in need to help them out of their long-term need, right? To help, to help them out of their need long-term through that thing. So I'm going to read this again in that context. Where it's not communism, it's not socialism, where we're all equal. It's a love for one another and a love for God and a generosity that cares. Are you needy? Because practically, like, I know, I know some of y'all, I've heard the stories, you've been needy, right? And when you're needy, life is hard. And it's hard to worship. And it's hard to walk in thankfulness. And it's hard to exalt the Lord. And all of a sudden, just one of those needs gets met and something gets taken care of. And it's like, oh, that burden is lifted off of me. Now I'm not going to struggle with bitterness. I'm not, you know, not going to be bitter at my old boss that fired me or sold the company or whatever. And now I can walk in victory. Just that one little thing. The full number of those who believe were one heart and one soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. With great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. They laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. So they would sell a, a whole land, a whole property laid at the apostles' feet. And so the apostles are in charge of figuring out who gets it. But it's not for the apostles. Isn't that a great thing? Like the apostles aren't getting rich off of this. 
Because they aren't loving money. They're loving, oh, this is so, this frees us all up so much to just preach Jesus. Because he's coming back any minute, and we want to tell as many people about him as we can. And we know who's needy, we know who is in need, and we can give that to them and take care of them. Now they're not in need. Let's go on and keep preaching. Let's preach this stuff. There's this guy named Joseph. This is 436. Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. I love this. Um, All right, come on. You got nicknames for people, right? When you have a nickname for somebody, it's because you love them. It's like just that little extra bit of affection. Even if you call your kids sugar, if you call your spouse honey, all of that is just a little bit of affection. So these, the apostles called Joseph, this Joseph guy, Barnabas, because he was the son of encouragement. He is just like, he has been birthed out of encouragement. He is just such an encouraging, <laughs> I don't know, we don't know. It is enough that they called him Barnabas instead of Joseph. He's a Levite. Which means he's of the tribe of Levi, which is really fun because what the Levites were not supposed to own any land under the Old Testament. They were not apportioned an area of land. There were refuge cities that they had and they had the crops around it, but they weren't really landowners like the other tribes. And he's a native of Cyprus. Cyprus is Gentile land. It's this island way over in the Mediterranean Sea. Um, It's off the coast of North Africa. It's nowhere near Israel. And he's from there, but he's a Levite. So now you've got all this complicated political stuff where he's been part of the diaspora, the fleeing of the Jews all over the world. And how strong of a Jew can you be if you're from Cyprus? But you're a Levite, so you don't own any land over there anyway. And he sold a field that belonged to him We don't know if it's a field in Cyprus or if it's a field in Jerusalem or Israel. What in the world is he doing owning a field anyway? He sold it. He brought the money and he laid it at the apostles' feet. So the other cool thing about Barnabas is that the way it tells it, he was the son of encouragement before he ever brought this money in. So the money that he brought in is not what made him encouraging. He was an encourager and part of his encouragement and part of his lifestyle of encouragement also involved him bringing in, selling a field that he owned, some kind of Levitical land, maybe we don't know. And he laid all the money at their feet. The other super cool thing, which you know, if you read the Bible, is Barnabas is going to show up later. Barnabas is going to be the bridge person between Peter and Paul. Peter and Paul are not going to be fans of each other. Paul was probably just now on the council, uh, or is going to be on the council in two weeks, that gets Peter flogged. Peter and Paul probably saw each other when they were throwing Peter in jail last week and the week before. And Barnabas, the son of encouragement, is going to be the guy that introduces them to each other and starts that. 
So Barnabas brings all of the money. He lays it at their feet. It's given to anybody in need. Ignore that big number five in Acts. Acts 5. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira, they also sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only part of it and put it at the apostles' feet. So Ananias and Sapphira, they do the same thing. There's people in need. We want to take care of them. They sell some land and they talk to each other about it and they keep some of the money for themselves and they bring the rest of the money and they lay it at Peter's feet. Peter says, Ananias, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? Whoa. Peter is awesome. Like Peter doesn't hold back when he preaches. You crucify the Lord, the author of life, right? He's not holding back here. Ananias, why has Satan entered you? What's really wild is coming from Peter, this sounds bold and we don't know how he said it. We don't know what the inflection is. But Peter himself, remember Jesus said to Peter, the devil wants to sift you like wheat. And when he's done, I will restore you. Jesus said that to Peter. So Peter knows what it is to get, to have struggle, to be tempted right there face to face. Peter knows what it is to fail in that struggle. You, whenever you read like first or second Peter, whenever you hear Peter talk in the book of Acts, always read it through that filter that Peter knows what it's like to fight and to fail and to be restored. Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land while it remained unsold? Did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? He's saying, when you owned it, it was all yours. After you sold it and you had the money, isn't the money all yours? Why is it that you've contrived this deed in your heart? Why are you lying? Like, it's all your money. You can do with it whatever you want. You don't have to give us all of it. Why are you working up this thing in your head to lie and say you're giving all of it? You can do It's awesome how Peter, like you could read this as, oh, they had to give everything. Whenever they gave money, they had to give it all. Whenever they sold property, they had to give every bit. That's not what Peter's saying. Peter's saying, you're free to give however much you want to give. You always have been. Why are you lying and saying you're giving everything? Don't lie. You haven't lied to man, but to God. The point was not that you didn't give everything. It's that he said he gave everything and he didn't. And that's what led to this next horrible thing. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. He died on the spot. Maybe he was killed by the Holy Spirit. Maybe... Maybe God struck him like an Old Testament thing. Maybe it was just his own, you know, something natural of his own shock and terror and, and remorse. We don't know any of that. 
Um, some people argue that this is out of character and this doesn't fit and this isn't the way Jesus acts. Well, remember there's a fig tree that Jesus walked up to and he it was supposed to be giving figs and he says, there's no figs, you'll never bear fruit again. And he walked off and the next day they came up and the fig tree was just withered and rotten and destroyed. And they said, what? what's going on here? And Jesus explained to them, hey, it's not bearing fruit. It's looking like it's bearing fruit. It should be bearing fruit. And it's not bearing fruit. And it's almost the same kind of parable, same kind of thing here. They're looking like they're giving all that they had. And they were boasting that they gave all that they had. And they were holding back. And they were, they were lying. Great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose, wrapped him up, and carried him out and buried him. They're afraid. And it's afraid of the reality of lying. The, the reality of fake holiness. Here is how holy we are, Peter. We are so holy. We've gone to such great sacrifice. We've done these great things. And that, that's the real lie. This isn't really about money, right? If this were about money, they'd talk about how poor they all were and how, how they were having trouble getting by. But nobody was poor among them. There, nobody, had any, nobody had needs. But whenever needs came up, somebody would do this and somebody would do that. They didn't need Ananias and Sapphira's money. They needed their honesty. They needed their, their you know, if, if, he would, if my buddy would have loaned me his Prius and I would have made it two blocks and police would have pulled up all around and said it was stolen and I went to jail for stealing a car, the bummer wouldn't be I don't get to drive his car anymore. The bummer would be that he lied to me and tricked me into getting arrested for stealing a car that he said I could have, right? The relationship has been broken here. The, the bond of the Christian community has been, has been trashed. After an interval, about three hours, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. This is a grace of God right here. This is a chance for Sapphira to, to hear the Holy Spirit and to be honest. This is a chance for her to know, because she's going to find out when she comes in and talks to Peter that her husband's dead and been, already been buried, right? She's going to find this out. Peter has shown her some grace. Is this how much? She says, yes, for so, yes, that is the price. And she lies. Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Think about Peter is spending all of his time teaching how awesome Jesus is. The whole community is sharing. They're not counting anything their own. They're celebrating how great Jesus is. They're taking care of one another. And now right in the middle, just it's kind of heartbreaking that somebody is trying to do this scheme and trying to, to you know, it's like if we had a Bible study and, and all of a sudden I bust out, I'm glad you're all here because I want you to be Shackley, my downlines for Shackley. And you all be like, what? Selling Shackley? I thought we were going to have a Bible study. I just did this trick on you. And Peter's like, how could you, you could be in this together? Listen, those guys who buried your husband, they're going to come and carry you out now. 
And immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead. They carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. It is becoming more real. This community that follows Jesus, they're starting to get the reality of, oh my goodness, God came and dwelled among us in our midst. The things that Jesus said really are true. And if we are going to follow him, we need to take it seriously. We, we, he is the real deal. And hallelujah, our good deeds and our righteous works don't matter. We do not have to show off how we gave all of our money to the poor and how we gave this and we, how we gave that. Because Peter just said, it was all yours in the first place. You didn't have to do this. Why would you test the Holy Spirit by trying to be righteous? Why would you test the Holy Spirit by trying to show off how religious you are? Keep your field. <laughs> you're, you're righteous. Jesus has died for your sin. It's not by the law anymore. And so great fear comes upon them as they realize, what if our sins really are taken away? And what if righteousness really does come by faith, as Paul and Peter are going to teach in the coming weeks? And then the very next line, remember what happens in the book of Acts over and over again. All the people come together, they pray, and then miracles happen. So it's a miracle that Ananias and Sapphira were struck dead. Um, there was actually an archaeological dig that found a tomb that had said Ananias and Sapphira on it from this time period. So it's not like they were thrown out in the field like Judas and eaten up. They, they were given proper tombs. But now the miracles happen. In 512, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico, the section of the temple. And they were together. They shared their stuff. They took care of one another's needs. And they helped each other out. And they learned with fear and trembling that they did not have to be self-proclaimed righteous, holy rollers that can brag about how faithful they are. What were they bragging about? They were carrying on about God. Coming in the form of Jesus, dying for our sins, and the Holy Spirit working among us every day. All right, let's pray. Lord, we want to be that group. We want to talk about you every day. We want to see your Holy Spirit move in our midst, just like we've already talked about today. We want to take care of people's needs so that there would be no one needy among us. That we would all know that we are, we are following you together, Lord. And that we care about you and we care about one another more than we care about our own holy roller self-righteousness. That we care about you and that we care about one another more than our fleeting, passing stuff. That we could exalt you and glorify you in the way that we love others is, is just an awesome, awesome gift. We praise you and we thank you, Lord. Amen. All right.